Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country, or actually we have listeners around the world. Uh, This is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel, and it's just exciting again to be with you to have another edition of All Rise, knowing again that if we employ libertarian values of responsibility at all levels of society, being being responsible for your actions, financial responsibility, live and let live, uh, in understanding incentives and, and uh, responsibility, we will all rise together. And we have a guest today named Jacob Hornberger. He's an attorney. Uh, he is committed to liberty. He is committed to us all, all rising together. To the degree that he's going around the country now, he's running for president of the United States as a libertarian. The nomination will be, the convention will be over Memorial Day weekend in 2020 in Austin, Texas. So please look in and, and join us. But uh, this man has a great deal to offer, uh, and uh, he is, in fact, putting his time on the line. So we all know, of course, there are vested interests that have have a lot of control over what we're doing today in government, etc. Uh, but there are a lot of bad things happening, but there are a lot of good things happening, too. We will discuss anything on this show, All Rise. And so uh, with that, uh, Jacob Hornberger, H-O-R-N-B-E-R-G-E-R, tell us a little bit, welcome, and tell us a little bit about your background and what do you offer as President of the United States? Well, thank you, Judge Gray. Would you mind if I called you, Jim? Um, you can call me anything you wish. How about, hey, you? That works, too. <laughs> well, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you. I mean, you've been such a giant in the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Movement, and you and I got to know each other last weekend at the Mississippi Libertarian Party Convention, so it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. And, yes, I'm seeking the Libertarian Party presidential nomination. I've been advocating liberty and libertarianism for 30 years in the educational arena. I founded and run a libertarian foundation called the Future of Freedom Foundation. And let me emphasize that they can't endorse me, but people can get a good sense of where I stand and what I believe and how I advance liberty, my methodology. But I finally have gotten to the point where, in my life, where I said, you know, I want to take these people on more directly, the people who have destroyed our freedom in this country. And that's both Democrats and Republicans. And the way to take them on directly is in the political arena, and and the best place to do that is in the presidential race. So I decided to go ahead and, and seek the Libertarian Party presidential nomination in the hopes that if I were accorded the honor of winning that nomination... I could take on both Trump and whoever the Democrats uh, nominate in terms of holding them both accountable for what they've done to our freedom and what they've done to our country. Accountability? Are you kidding? In today's world, Jacob, you you really feel that accountability is there still? Well, if we hold them accountable, you know, the, the problem is they don't hold each other accountable because they both 
believe in the same philosophy. I mean, they both believe in omnipotent government, a centrally managed economy, uh, foreign interventionism, welfareism, socialism, imperialism. So they, they're really just fighting over who gets the power and who gets the money. Uh, but libertarians, we stand for an entirely different paradigm, a whole different system based on liberty. And so we're in the perfect position to hold both of them accountable for what they've done to this country. So, yeah, hold them accountable, but it's really only the libertarians that are going to do that because they're just playing musical chairs themselves. Well, I'm afraid that I heard a saying once that I believe in, and that is that in politics, reality is irrelevant doesn't make any difference at all, that the only thing that's important is the voter's perception of reality. So you'll have these people in government saying, oh, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, don't worry, ba young, young baby, we'll take care of you. We'll give you this, we'll give you that. Uh, but if you get into the private sector, they they have a focus on trying to resolve disputes, resolve problems, so that if you know you have people that have are down and out and the homeless, for example, the idea is not to to provide shelter for them on a, an occasional basis and show how many people are are actually under your care. That's what the government does. That's what politics does. Oh, our our agency is taking care of such and such people. The locals will try to resolve it so that they can start taking care of themselves and the problem starts going away. Is that what you feel a libertarian approach would be as opposed to either a Democrat or Republican? Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that there's a fundamental difference in how libertarians view the legitimate role of government in a free society. And Democrats and Republicans, for example, believe that the government should take care of people. I mean, that's the whole idea of what we, we call the welfare state, that the, the federal government and, and also, the, the, to a certain extent, the state and local governments, that their primary job is to provide for people. And how do they do that? Well, they forcibly take money from people to whom it belongs, and they give it to people to whom it does not belong. And they, they say, oh, well, this shows how caring and compassionate we all are. The IRS, the bureaucrats who distribute the money, the taxpayers. Well, this is all nonsense because there is no such thing as, as mandatory charity. If it's mandatory, it's not charity. And it, there's no good caring compassion about it. What we libertarians say is that all charity should be voluntary entirely. We want people to keep everything they earn, and they decide what to do with it. Not only is this morally right, that people be free to make their choices, it's really the only way that charity becomes meaningful, because it's voluntary. And then finally, we believe in freedom. We have no doubt that in a free society, people will respond in, in ways that they believe are best, but that will generate the assistance that those at the bottom of the economic ladder need. Indeed. And in fact, we were talking, uh, I think, last week with Dr. Jim Doty uh, saying that, look, the idea is to have people be able to get on the first rung of the economic ladder. So minimum wage laws actually hurt the people that they purport to want to help because some people are just not worth $10 an hour at the moment. They haven't learned a, a to be consistent and a, and a responsible point of view. So, but if you get them that first job, they can learn this. They can show that, hey, wait, if I work better, I, I will improve myself. But uh, it's the government that actually is keeping people down in so many ways. Libertarians, you know, uh, let me let me run this by Jacob Hordenberger, because uh, we may agree on this or disagree, but I believe that there should be a safety net in our society. But 
I preface that by saying that if I were bleeding on the street right here, and you, you would have no legal obligation to help me whatsoever, unless, of course, you help cause my injuries. That would be different. But we will because we want to, because we're compassionate people. That degree, in my, my view, would be voluntary to put in a safety net to help people. But maybe people are not entitled to it. No such thing as entitlement. But they might even be appreciative. But uh, that would be my approach. Uh, where do you come in on that? Well, let me first address your point about minimum wage because it's so it's so right on. It's so fantastic that you know this, this is a classic example of where you know Democrats and Republicans act like they're doing a society a favor uh, and poor people a favor with a minimum wage. Well, there's a chronic unemployment rate among black teenagers of about thirty to forty percent every year. That excuse me, about to sneeze, and so. There's a reason for that, as you point out, that in the marketplace, employers place a subjective value on anything, labor, things they're going to buy, uh, means of production. And so they value, let's say, an inner-city teenager that maybe doesn't dress that well, maybe his grammar's a little bit off, and let's say $5 an hour, and the teenager says, I'll take it because I can learn a business, I can learn a trade, I can learn how to deal with customers, I can get my foot on the first rung of the ladder, as you phrase it. Well, the law prohibits that from happening. And so that, that teenager never gets that first step. And so then he gets into his 20s. He hasn't learned marketable skills. And he ends up on welfare where they say, oh, we're going to take care of you. And all they end up doing is controlling him. Or he goes even worse, gets into the drug trade. So minimum wage laws lock out of the labor market the very poor people that Democrats and Republicans purport to help. The best thing you could ever do is have a total free market in labor. Get rid of minimum wage laws. Let people compete at whatever level. And then they start rising up naturally. Now, in your question on the, on the safety net, if by safety net you, you mean that the government should provide some type of minimal assistance in the event of dire circumstances, I don't agree with that at all. I, I, I believe it's morally wrong to force anyone, and that's, that's what government does. It take, forcibly takes money and gives it to another person, and I don't think it's necessary. I, I think freedom really does work. That if you have a society that is totally free, no safety net, no mandatory charity, no anything, that a free people will come forward with foundations, with scholarships, fellowships, uh, medical assistance, doctors providing free health care for people that need it. I, I think you can totally rely on a totally free society to generate whatever assistance is necessary. I have seen a problem in our society here in California, and you may not be familiar with this, but they recently passed what they called Assembly Bill 5, which in effect makes people that are called private contract, independent contractors, driving for Uber. Uh, I am, as a private judge, I'm a private contractor. I'm making them employees. And I know this is pushed by the labor unions because they want more members of the labor unions. If you're an employee, then, of course, the employer has to pay you your your minimum wage. They have to, have to pay you benefits, uh, get into uh, uh, workers' comp insurance, and the rest of that. And drivers for Uber, for example, don't want to do that. They don't want to have to work eight hours a day. They want to choose what their hours would be. So the government starts giving exemptions. And so I, as an attorney, as a private judge, I've been I, attorneys are exempt. So I, I am 
literally could be called an employee of my company, but that would change the whole dynamics. I don't want that to happen. But the government is interfering such that people by the tens of thousands are now losing their jobs because it's not worth it for the company to hire them as employees on that fixed schedule, and they don't want it either. So I don't know if you were familiar before with AB5, but I assume that uh, you agree with me, Jacob Hornberger. This is a disaster in the making. Well, absolutely, and, and what I'd like to bring to this presidential race is, if, if, if I were to win this nomination, is, is to raise people's vision to a higher level. Uh, I mean, I agree with you on that specific level, but I want to take people to, to a higher level here. Uh, for example, when, when our ancestors were dealing with the questions of, of church, state churches, they could have gone off in the direction of saying, let's have the government have better-run state churches, where the, 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 the government puts them under tight regulations and controls and makes sure that there's not things going wrong in the state churches. Well, our ancestors said, no, let's think at a higher level. Let's separate church and state entirely. Let's not have government involved in religion. Well, that's what I want to do with the economic activity. I want to raise people's vision to a higher level where there is a separation of economy and the state. So we're even by constitutional amendment, like we have with the First Amendment, so that we don't have to jack around with every one of these little bills and laws that they're constantly passing, both parties, regulating economic activity. That's a revolutionary notion, the idea of separating the economy and the state. But that was the original idea behind the terms free enterprise and free market. They were markets that were free of government control and regulation. Enterprise, free of government control and regulation. That was Adam Smith's revolutionary message in his book in 1776, An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations. So I agree with you on that level. I want to take it to a higher level and cause people to think at a higher level. Well, Jacob, uh, we had last February 28 on their show a fellow named Paul Leon who was talking about the homeless issue. And he's in the private sector, and he was just demonstrating to us time and again, how the government was interfering with people getting jobs, getting getting residences, being able to live uh, free from government activity, that they're putting on all of these restrictions and all of these other things. But the free market, he said, would rally. You know, they were talking about originally taking these uh, uh, crates that, that were used for storage and turning them into low-cost housing. But, oh, no, the government came in and said, oh, you can't do that. The zoning isn't there. So I, I think that there's a great deal of support for what you're saying. And plus, the United States people really are supportive. They are compassionate. They, they want to help. We have lots and lots of foundations. I think that, uh, you know, the uh, Bill, Bill Gates Foundation has done an awful lot more for people here and around the world than any government ever has. I couldn't agree with you more, and, and, and your, your point about zoning is very fascinating because if you look at any city where there is homelessness, I will guarantee you 100% that you're going to find a highly zoned city. And that zoning, you know, when it first came into existence in the 1920s and 30s, sort of as a prelude to the welfare state revolution that came into existence in the 30s, with the Franklin Roosevelt administration, you know, it had this, this idea that we can centrally plan a city where it, it, there's no blight, and then you get urban renewal and that sort of thing, and you throw poor people out of their homes, and you, you industrialize that 
city or you put a shopping mall in that area. Well, that's the primary reason for homelessness because they won't, they, they, they have minimum requirements like single family homes and so forth. Now, I've got no problems with development where you have a housing development, somebody subdivides land, he wants some nicer homes there. But when they imposed this central planning model entirely on cities, that was the root of the problem. I grew up in what the Census Bureau said was the poorest city in the United States. That was Laredo, Texas in the 1950s and 60s. I mean, I'm talking about real poverty. People lived literally in shacks. But there was never any homelessness. Why? Because there was no zoning. People could, they lived in shacks, but that was at least something better than living out on the street. And then they could work their way out of that and, 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 and do better. I'll give you another example of this phenomenon. I, I was a lawyer then, and I had a client who's, who went and built low-cost low apartments for the poor. He would go into Mexico and buy supplies at dirt cheap prices. He'd come back, and he'd build these things at very low cost, but very clean, very manageable, always had full occupancy, and, and he was catering to poor people. So here he was providing housing for the poor, and, and he, he never punished them if they made too much money, which is what the public housing projects in Laredo were doing, the government-owned projects. That if you make too much money, they throw you out. And so people had this incentive to just stay in public housing their entire lives because they, they couldn't cover the gap of getting a down payment on a house or trying to get a, a private apartment. Well, my client, he didn't punish anybody. They'd, sit, they'd take his low-cost housing. As soon as they made a little bit of money, they'd move out to a better part of town. That's the advantage of the free market as well as what you're talking about, a society where people are accumulating wealth and, and desire to help others that, that need the help. Well, to give a, a really personal example, Jacob Hornberger, the presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, uh, my daughter has had some problems uh, through through her life, and so she is on Social Security, and so she she's having trouble holding a job. So I actually talked to a, a, a group that's a, a philanthropic group and said, if you hire my daughter at $12 an hour, I will pay you $15 an hour. The problem is that if she worked more than 10 hours a week, she would lose more benefits from Social Security than she would make by working. So she has an incentive not to work. So I'd actually have her volunteer at these organizations, and I'd just pay her directly the $12 an hour to give the incentive to get out in the world. But, but that's what government does. You know, you, you lose the incentives. You, you, you become reliant, which, of course, many people in government love. They want you to be reliant on the government. But the other thing I would add is a quote from Henry Ford that I use a lot on this all rise show. He's not my favorite person socially because he was anti-Semitic, I believe, but he said anyone that feels they can rely on the government to thrive should talk to the American Indian. And, and that really says it all. It just doesn't work. I wish it did. It does not. Absolutely. I mean, they create these perverse incentives. And, and when, when people are, are being offered free money, uh, it's it's entirely rational to accept it. I mean, it, it, you even take the wealthiest people in society. If you offer them enough free money, they're going to take it. We see this with corporate bailouts and uh, SBA loans to big businesses and agricultural subsidies. So the person at the bottom that's taking a welfare check or food stamp check, they're just acting just as rationally as the corporation that's taking the bailout money. But it creates these weird, perverse incentives 
where people started saying, oh, how can I get part of this action? And they started adjusting their conduct in accordance with that. Uh, and, and the example you point out is perfect, that there's, there's, there's this gap where somebody, let's say they're getting free assistance to the tune of $12,000 a year. And if they go to work, they're going to make fourteen or 15000 Well, is it worth it to go to work and get those extra three or 4000 Well, a person can sit there and say, well, no. I mean, I'd rather just sit here and do nothing and watch television. But what they're missing out on life and what government destroys is, is the fact that they're being removed from the mainstream of life where they, they can make that fifteen, sixteen thousand, but maybe even do better the second, third year and they're up at thirty, forty thousand dollars a year instead of being locked in at the at the twelve thousand dollars that they're getting for free. And in fact, that's right. One time, fairly recently, I read an article that talked about how you get ahead in government. Uh, relying on the government. And it said that, look, if you have a child, an unwed parent has a child, you do not want to live with the father. That what you really should do is have the father move out, have the, then the, the uh, parents of the father furnish the house, and then you can have the single mother live there and she gets all these welfare, oh, for aid to supported children and to, to being head of the household. And then you can maybe have the husband or the father work live back in, but he can then get extra benefits unless the government knows that they're living together. So if you don't live together as far as the government is concerned and play the system, you end up with something like $60,000 a year. If you're honest and you're, you're there, uh, that has resulted to, to something like only one third of that. It's a game. And of course, people are not dumb. They'll learn to game the system and to, and to do all of this, but it keeps people down. And in short of what I'm trying to say, and I know you are too, Jacob Hornberger, is incentives matter. And today, where are the incentives? Well, they're, they're in favor of being reliant on the government, and that's where the incentives are. And what we're punishing is we're punishing success. And guess what the result of that is? We have more people reliant and few people going out and being successful. Well, that's right. It destroys family values, too. You've got entire groups of people in society that, that, that don't get married for these kind of reasons because it's, 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 it's economically beneficial not to. And so the perversity is this. Not only do they destroy the incentive of things like can-do and self-reliance and independence, they actually end up destroying family values as well, marital just, values. We have done a really poor job as libertarians in one big thing, and I said this when I was with you in Mississippi, and that is we have allowed people to brand us. And the branding, if you just mention the word libertarian to, to Joe Q public, uh, they will immediately think, oh, greed is good. Oh, they don't want any government at all. Oh, we should we – should, uh, uh, in effect, uh, all have free drugs, that sort of thing, which simply is not true. But what we talk about, it's pragmatism, that, that I'm, I'm not a, it's theoretical in a lot of ways, I'm not maybe a libertarian purist, it's just that what libertarians propose works. Now, I want to adopt programs that work, and liberty does work. And that's, that's, in effect, what we're talking about. So uh, in, the, in the short time remaining before the break, uh, I... What, what is a libertarian, what does the libertarian party stand for as opposed to other political parties? Uh, I would say that it does not profit from government, that that would be the biggest, biggest uh, decision on that, that Republicans, yes, they would give our money to other people, they have different constituents, but it's all crony capitalism. 
libertarians would do away with all that crony capitalism stuff. Is that a fair statement from your standpoint, Mr. Hornberger? That's a, that's a totally fair statement. That you know, this is what I want to do with this presidential race. Is I want to I want people to discuss and debate two things across America. One, what does it really mean to be free? Because people think they're free, and that's one of the things that distinguish us libertarians, and we can explore that further, but we know we're not free. And then number two, what should be the role of government, the legitimate role of government in a free society? I think if people are discussing and debating those two questions, I think we'd see a sea change, because then they're going to understand what libertarianism is all about. We're about liberty, and we're about limited government. And... People can say, well, generally that sounds like a good idea, but it's in the application. That's where the rub is, and that's what distinguishes us libertarians from other people. Indeed so. Well, we're going to think, well, I'll ask our audience to contemplate to mull this over while you're thinking of these little, uh, these upcoming announcements. We'll be back in just a minute or two, and we'll continue this discussion with Jacob Hornberger, an attorney who is running for president of the United States as a libertarian for the nomination. So stay tuned, think about this, and we'll come back in just a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, The Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. And again, as you heard, uh, the theme for Americans for uh, All Rise is my musical Americans All, that in effect, again, if we adopt libertarian values, we are all Americans and will be strengthened by those bonds. But we're back here with our 
esteemed guest, Jacob Hornberger, who is running for president as a libertarian, uh, seeking that nomination. But before we get back to him, I, I've been requested, as I say all the time now by my wife, to involve myself in a little silliness so I can tell you, uh, Jacob, that I was recently reading a book on anti-gravity, and I just couldn't put it down. That's at least my effort for the moment. I didn't get a chuckle from him, but maybe some people out there are chuckling, but <laughs> life is life is good. I don't know. Maybe that was a forced chuckle. I, I will not pursue that thought. But we were talking about the difference between a libertarian government, which would not invoke crony capitalism, that, that you get into government tariffs, for example, and then, like we have with China, uh, the president supports some groups subsidizes some groups but not others basically they subsidize their friends and if you're you're a friend of mine you're you're i i can bribe you with government money for your vote and support uh, that's what happens i believe that the president when he was doing the tariffs with china uh, the corn farmers really were suffering so he ordered that there be a big subsidy to the corn farmers but not the wheat farmers well i mean my goodness sakes the libertarian government wouldn't subsidize anyone they wouldn't have tariffs either because free enterprise system free trade helps everybody. I assume that you believe that uh, there should not be any tariffs, uh, Drake and Pornberger. I'm sure you and I agree on that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I favor unilateral free trade. You see, the, the notion that President Trump is, uh, that he believes that he is the elected representative of American businesses and, and international affairs is just classic. I mean, it's classic Republican and Democrat that he thinks that his role well, that is not the legitimate role of government or of a president, that American businessmen can handle their own affairs. If they want to do business in China, then they work it out as to how to do things in China. If they don't like what's going on over there, then they just come home and they do business at home. But for Trump to start this trade war on his own, without even congressional permission, I mean, this is authoritarianism in its classic form, and and then when he does this, he imposes tariffs on, on the American people. But he thinks, obviously, that it's the Chinese that are paying these taxes. Well, the Chinese don't pay tariffs. All a tariff is is a fancy word for a sales tax on something that you bought overseas. So it's the Americans that he was imposing taxes on without getting specific congressional permission. You know, in our system of government... It's Congress who's supposed to be levying the taxes, and then the president carries out the laws. But Trump was raising the taxes. Then as he, as he puts American farmers out, out of business, he, he sent a lot of them into bankruptcy. Along with the, he's hurting the Chinese people, too, that this is what trade wars do. They hurt people. Well, he takes the slush fund from the tariff revenue that he's forcibly collected from the American people, and he uses that, as you say, to help out privileged farmers. Uh, with a giant welfare program. And so now he's saying, look what a great thing I did. Well, what he did was a disaster. He hurt people in China. He hurt people in the United States. And he, he solidified the destruction of our economic liberty here at home. For me, as a libertarian, I say unilateral free trade. Liberate the private sector. Let, let American businessmen travel and trade anywhere in the world they want without any trade restrictions, without any tariffs. Let them deal with the problems in foreign countries. Leave the federal government and the president out of the process. 
Indeed so. In fact, hear ye, hear ye. We do not have a monarch in the United States, or at least not, it's not designed that way. No one person should be able to assess tariffs. No one person should be able to declare war and send our fighting troops uh, into harm's way unless there's an immediate danger. But, but that's what we've evolved to. And I view this as an abrogation of responsibility by Congress. They're starting to take back their War Powers Act and stuff, giving what gave carte blanche offers of, of power to presidents. It's simply flat out wrong and it doesn't work. But let me change the subject just modestly because I've said numbers of times and I actually believe that every person when they go into the voting booth or now in or today's world submit their ballots one way or the other, they have one question on their minds and that is what's in it for me? And it could be a variety of different issues. It could be their pocketbooks. It frequently is. It could be world peace. It could be health and security, whatever. But that's what they're thinking. In your view, Jacob Hornberger, how would voting libertarians answer that question? What's in it for me? Well, if, if a voter likes the direction that America is going in, uh, and I believe it's a very bad direction that both Democrats and Republicans are leading our nation down. You've got out-of-control spending, out-of-control debt. You've got soaring suicide rates, among, especially among young people, which to me is very, very bizarre and almost a conclusive sign that something is fundamentally wrong in this society. You've got all these irrational killings and shootings taking place. I mean, there's something fundamentally wrong with this country. And... The direction that this country's taken, I mean, assassinations, when did you ever think that your own government would be engaged in state-sponsored assassinations or torture or indefinite detention or invasions, coups, this type of thing? Well, if you like all that direction, then people would naturally say, hey, I'm going to just keep voting the same way. Vote for either one, Trump or Sanders or Buttigieg, Warren, doesn't matter. But if you want a different direction a direction in in the good founding principles of America. Now, we know there were some bad founding principles, like slavery and women's rights, but there were good founding principles of liberty and limited government that come up and join with us libertarians. And if you, if you want your vote wasted, vote for Democrats and Republicans, because you're just going to get the same old bad direction. You want your vote to count. Send these people a message. Tell them that you don't like the direction, and the one language they understand is votes to third parties. When, but when our vote totals start going up, those people get really nervous. And that's what I would say. When you go into that voting booth, do you like the direction of, that America is taking? Then vote for either one of them. If you want a different direction, the direction of liberty, peace, prosperity, and harmony with the people of the world and moral principles, come and join up with us libertarians. Well, and there's a graphic example of this, Jacob, and that is the presidential debates that we will force the Republicans and Democrats to address issues, address issues like the failing public schools, wars without without end, uh, Guantanamo, which remains a blight on who we are as a country, in my view. Allow the candidates that are on enough ballots in enough states technically to win the presidency to have a seat at the table in the debates. And we went to, to trial with the uh, Republicans and Democrats who control the so-called Commission on Presidential Debates. Uh, we took them to, to court. We were unsuccessful. But if 
we would be a part of the discussion. We would start addressing these issues, holding people accountable, shining a light on what's going on. And one example I'd like to discuss, and I know we part company a little bit on this, but we discuss issues openly without calling each other names. When I was growing up in the 50s and early 60s, we had the best medical care system really in the world. And, and I had a nephritis, which was a kidney infection when I was in the first grade, and penicillin pretty much saved my life, as I understand it. But our doctor came and made house calls, for heaven's sake, because we had a healthcare system that was run on the free market that uh, we could set the prices, we negotiated, you didn't have all the healthcare insurance to buffer all of this. You had the customer actually paying the money so he would get, he would, she would get quality care for reasonable prices. And then we had the government starting to intrude, basically with Lyndon Johnson's Medicare system in 1965, something like that. And we've been continuing to do that ever since to the degree that, as I call it, and I think you would agree with me, if you want to have your health care run by the equivalent of the Department of Motor Vehicles, that's where we're going. So get the government out of this. The Constitution doesn't allow any form of involvement in health care or education, for that matter, with the government. We should get the government out of our health care. Have I convinced you, Jacob Hornberger? A hundred percent. But let me let me go back to your first point first, though, because it's a really important point. And you were talking about how they exclude the libertarian candidates from the presidential debates. They also exclude us from the ballot box. Uh, we're having a terribly difficult time getting on the ballot in several states because they have a protection racket. Uh, this really isn't a two-party system. It, it's a one-party system. Democrats and Republicans, I call them the Welfare Warfare Party, and it's divided into two wings, sort of like the National Football League is divided into two conferences. It's one party. It, it's divided into two wings, and it's a protection racket. They, the last thing they want is democratic competition. They'll, they'll invade countries supposedly to establish democracy, but here at home, they will do everything they can in many states. Some states are reasonable, and they, 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 they make it easy for libertarians to get on the ballot. But other states are doing everything they can to keep us out of the political process because they don't want the competition. They don't want people to hear an alternative paradigm, an alternative system. And, so, and, and the news media plays along with this, and you're absolutely right that the criteria for getting into the debate should be, are you on enough states where you could theoretically win? But instead, they, they, they switched it over to the polling thing where you have to reach 15% and five polls. And you know darn well that if we ever got close to that, they'd make it 20%, or they, they would decide the polls. It's just a protection racket. And I think that's what people have to understand. And the way, how can they stop this protection racket? Come and join up with us. With, liber- with us libertarians and help us break it wide open. Now, in healthcare, it's funny that you mentioned about growing up because, you see, I had the same experience. I told you I grew up in Laredo, which was the poorest city in the United States, uh, that every day doctors' offices were filled in Laredo. And most and the doctors knew that hardly anyone could pay. Uh, in fact, a lot of the patients were from Nuevo Laredo, which was even poorer. And I never heard of one instance where a doctor turned away any patient for inability to pay. They would just go ahead and treat them, knowing that they weren't going to get paid. Um, sometimes the patients would bring in tamales or chickens or something and pay in kind. But this is this was real charity. This this is what where charity really matters. And doctors were still making a lot of money. Our 
Our doctors were the second wealthiest people in Laredo, second only to the oil people, uh, because they were making enough money from the people who could pay. But they were giving back with free health care. Same with our hospital. We had one hospital called Mercy Hospital, which was a Catholic-run hospital. They would provide free, free health care to poor people. Uh, well, help, nobody had major medical insurance, Jim. I mean, uh, health care costs were so low and stable that it was like going to the grocery store. You know, nobody's got grocery store insurance to protect against soaring grocery store prices. But then, as you point out, Medicare comes into existence and, and Medicaid. Totally unnecessary. Giant socialist program. That was the beginning of the end. Um, as, as my doctor would make, ha- make house calls. We'd, get a, we'd need a tetanus shot on the weekend, and we'd call him up, and, and he would just say, come by the house. And he'd come out to the car and give us a tetanus shot. Not anymore. I mean, doctors now hate what they do in life. A lot of them are getting prosecuted for Medicare fraud. They're retiring early. You've got health care costs. Story. And so there's a group of people, and especially among conservatives, but that want to reform it. They think, you know, health savings accounts or something like that. The Democrats, they want a full-fledged socialist system, which is so totally illogical because their small socialism in terms of Medicare and Medicaid brought this huge health care crisis, so their solution is giant socialism. There's only one solution to this health care crisis, and that's libertarianism, which means dismantle Social Security, dismantle Medicaid, to a larger extent, separate health care and the state entirely. There is no other solution, and I've been saying this for 30 years. Anybody who thinks they're going to come up with a health care reform plan that leaves Medicare and Medicaid intact, they're living in la-la land. It's not going to work because socialism is an inherently defective paradigm. Nobody can make it work. The only thing that can resolve this health care crisis is freedom and free markets, which necessarily means ridding our society immediately of this socialism. Well, and in healthcare, like you say, Jacob, what we're trying to do in the government now with the Democrats and Republicans is double down on what's been demonstrated does not work. And and so if a little bit of socialism doesn't work, maybe a lot of socialism will work. And that's that's simply crazy. And I think we, you and I would agree in many ways with regard to our nation's drug laws, too, the drug prohibition. And I this is where I really started going out into the public forum back in 1992. As a judge, I held a press conference saying that our drug laws of prohibition were not working. Uh, judges don't do that, by the way, but but it was so important. I felt that job security was not as important as trying to get the word out. But I would, in effect, regulate and control drugs, uh, all drugs, and uh, take the black market out of it and hold people accountable for their actions. And the, discrim- the description I use on that, it makes as much sense to me to put this gifted actor Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem, and he's, always, he's, he's had that problem. I think he's making good movies, but he'll always have that craving. He'll have to be careful. But it makes as much sense to me to put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problem. It's the same thing. Hold them bring them closer to medical professionals that can help them instead of labeling of automatic criminals and pushing them farther away. But critical, and I think, Jacob, you'll go along with this as well, if Robert Downey Jr., Betty Ford, you or I drive a motor vehicle impaired by, you name it, methamphetamines, heroin, alcohol, which is my drug of choice, that should be and is a crime. What's the difference? 
And the difference there is now by my actions, I'm putting your safety at risk. That's a legitimate criminal justice issue. And I'll end this tirade by also saying that I think the government has as much right to control what I as an adult put into my body as it does what I put into my mind. It's none of their business. Have I converted you, Jacob Hornblower? Hornberger, excuse me. (laughs) You've converted me completely. I mean, this is really just a repeat of prohibition. Uh, that that we we went through this national experiment. There was a big alcohol drunken problem in the in the 1800s, and so you get the temperance movement. You get people all riled up that want to stop uh, alcoholism and 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 people imbibing it all. So they they go into this experiment with prohibition. They make it illegal to possess, drink, distribute alcoholic beverages, and it was a disaster. I mean, it's absolute disaster because you've got the violent crime, you've got the Al Capones, you've got people breaking the law, widespread disrespect for the law, corruption in the police and the judiciary. So, so they end it, and all that goes away. All the violence, all the corruption. Is there still an alcohol problem? Of course. But, I mean, there are social problems that arise in a society that don't belong in the criminal justice field. And so the same thing applies with heroin addiction, opioid addiction, uh, the use of marijuana, whatever drug you want to talk about, it doesn't belong in the criminal justice field. It belongs in the private sector, Alcoholics Anonymous, rehab groups. People can drink in, in, in moderate levels, as we've learned. You don't have to be a drunk or an alcoholic. But it all belongs in the private sector. As soon as you move it to the public sector, you end up with a corrupt criminal justice system. That's why there's such a rot in America's criminal justice system. Not only that, but this is the most racially bigoted government program, in my opinion, the whole war on drugs, and since segregation. Because we all know that this, this drug war is falling disproportionately on African Americans. The, the noted African American scholar Michelle Alexander calls it the new Jim Crow. And that's exactly what it is. And, and every African-American, especially at the lower echelons of African-American society, they know it. They know it's a rotten criminal justice system. But if you, if you get rid of prohibition on all drugs and you put them in the private sector, now then we return justice to the criminal justice system. And that's the way it should be, where, where the, the cops are going after murderers and rapists, thieves and, and burglars, instead of people that are engaged in peaceful behavior, it might be behavior that we don't approve of, but that's no business of the cops. Indeed so. And and I phrase it that uh, when we finally, re- I call it alcohol prohibition against drug prohibition because it's the same thing, and uh, we realize that now. But, but when we finally repealed alcohol prohibition, the statistics show that homicides went down by 50% in the next year. And and. That is a phenomenon that somehow we put out of our minds. In addition, and I've mentioned this several times on All Rise, but I still remember when I was on the municipal court bench uh, sentencing two young men at different times for being under the influence of methamphetamine. And uh, they were pleading guilty. Before they do that, they're required to give us what they call a factual basis. That is, put into your own words why you're guilty of this offense. And for various reasons I don't need to go into, they had no reason to lie to me at that point. But they told me, Your Honor, my drug of choice is marijuana. And unbeknownst to me, some, once I bought some marijuana laced with methamphetamines, I smoked it a few times and got hooked. And I still remember thinking, Jacob, look, if this was the private sector, you understand that smoking cigarettes is hazardous to your health without a doubt. But at least if you go to your local mini mart and buy a pack of Marlboros, you're going to know it's not laced with methamphetamine. That's a problem of 
of government prohibition. But if you have these various drugs in our society and there's pollutants in it, the private sector, you know, our, our, our judicial system will hold people accountable. So the quality control will come back, which is totally absent today. So that's, that's just the difference. Responsibility as opposed to anything goes. Yeah, what you're making is a very good point, it, it, that ending prohibition is actually a humane way to treat addiction. I mean, the dirty needle syndrome, too. The people go in and they, they go in the black market, the illegal market, and they use these dirty needles. While with, if prohibition's ended, they go into pharmacies and they, they get assistance with their addiction. No, nobody's going to be pleased with the fact that somebody's a drug addict, but the more humane approach is at least make that as as healthy an addiction as possible by letting pharmaceuticals distribute the drugs and, and the needles and so forth. If I could, I'd like to make another point, you know, because I was a trial lawyer many years ago. I, I haven't practiced law in a long time, but this drug war ruined a lot of lives. I saw it practicing law. I had friends that were uh, federal felons at very young ages. I, I saw sentences, 15 years sentences for minor drug offenses. But I'm going to give you a real-life example of this. I'm waging a very active campaign in North Carolina as part of this presidential race because the Libertarian Party is in the, in the Super Tuesday primary there. So I've been going down there and asking people to come and vote for me, boycott Democrats and Republicans in the, in the Super Tuesday primary and vote for me in the Libertarian primary, help me become this nominee. And I've been targeting, uh, to a large extent, African-Americans. Well, I go into an African-American newspaper called the Carolinian in, in Raleigh, and I learn that they've got a, a newspaper column the very next day after my visit coming out about a man named Michael Holmes. They got a 200-year jail sentence, Jim, for a nonviolent drug offense. He was 23. He grew up in a family. His parents pushed drugs his entire childhood. That's all he learned. At 23, he gets busted. A 200-year vicious sentence, the judge stacked the sentences instead of had him run concurrently. The man now in his 50s, and he's still in jail for this nonviolent drug offense. I mean, wow. that's like a poster child, what we're talking about, of the abuse in this system. Well, you look at the statistics, and it's very discouraging that the United States of America has 5% of the world's population and 25% of its prisoners. And again, many of them, the vast proportion of them, are, are people of color, are Hispanics and, and African Americans. And you look at, because of the war on drugs, that many people in these various ghetto areas or, or lower economic communities see the police as an occupying force. And I'm sure that you see that in North Carolina. I read that article, by the way, that, uh, the, from North Carolina, talking about you and your campaign. It almost makes me want to go and move to North Carolina, get residency so I can vote for Jacob Hornberger. Good for you. Oh, thank you. That's nice. Yeah, I'm trying to, trying to do my best to help this guy because I just, his, the guy, the reporter that wrote the column, a man named Greg Frey, uh, he, he's an African-American, and, and it, it, this is a high school buddy of his. And the guy's been in jail for 25 years for this nonviolent drug offense. I mean, if, to me, that's more than sufficient punishment. And so the, the more attention that I think we can bring to life or cases like this, uh, the, the more that we return re, re some semblance of justice to American society. 
Well, we have turned a political phrase, tough on crime, into a dogma, into a, a legal phrase, and we've truly suffered for it. And the taxpayers as well, just paying for the incarceration of these people. But we have mindlessly long prison sentences. This must be reformed. Vote libertarian because we will look into this. There are tens and tens of thousands of people in prison today all around the country that flat out simply should not be there. And some of them, of course, are geriatrics. They couldn't hurt you even by throwing their walker at you if they wanted to. It's just there's no protection, no benefit at all to keep those people in prison. Now, don't get us wrong. If you're Charles Manson or something like that, uh, Sir Han, Sir Han, for what you did, you should live your life in prison. But those are violent offenses. In the time remaining to us, and <laughs> this isn't fair because it's a huge issue, but Jacob Hornberger, you're running for president, in my view, the major deficit, the government's deficit are the largest threats to our security as a nation. Do you agree? And if president in a minute and a half remaining to us, what would you do about it? It's a tremendous threat. Um, I mean, I, I personally believe that that our founders were right, that President Eisenhower was right when he said that the national security state or the military-industrial complex is the, the biggest threat to our freedoms and democratic processes. I favor a limited government republic, which is the exact opposite of a gov- national security state. And that, that's what type of government we were founded as. The, the federal government got converted to a national security state after World War II. And North Korea is a national security state, Cuba, Russia, China, Egypt, and post-World War II United States. But it relates to what you're talking about, this $23 trillion of debt. Big spender Trump is adding another trillion dollars. I mean, would Hillary Clinton have spent that much money? Uh, possibly, but I mean, what's the difference? That in order to, to constrain federal spending, we have to do what, what I said earlier. We have to examine what is the legitimate role of government in a free society. And once we come to that answer... We realize, well, we don't need all this foreign interventionism and foreign military bases and so forth. We can have a basic military force, which is what characterized America throughout the 19th century. It's able to to garner the support of the people in case, in the remote case, we ever got invaded as a country. What that size would be, we could discuss and debate that. But we don't need this massive military empire overseas uh, here domestically. That would save tons of money to restore a limited government republic to our land. You get rid Indeed of all the so. mandatory charity programs. And we'd even be safer yeah. economically as well as militarily and the rest. So so there you have it. I, I'm sorry to end, uh, cut you off in effect, but that because that's simply a critically important issue that we discuss here on All Rise. This is Jacob Hornberger running for president as a libertarian for the libertarian nomination. Bless you. Godspeed to you, Jacob, in what you're doing. You're carrying the banner for liberty. Unfortunately, some people are afraid of liberty or afraid of freedom because they want to be taken care of by mommy government, but like Jacob is saying, it just doesn't work. Listen to Henry Ford, you know, if you want to thrive by being relying on the government, ask, talk to the American Indian. That's a graphic example. So tune in again next week or go back on demand for any of these shows. Listen to this one three or four times, and I think you'll keep learning more from Jacob Hornberger each time you do. I know that I have. I've taken some notes. But tune in again next week. Join us for All Rise, where if we do employ these libertarian values, more limited government will support minority rights. We will have responsibility at all levels of society. Literally, we will all rise together. So thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Godspeed to you again. And this is Judge Jim Gray signing off again with the saying that, and it's true, life is good. 
Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my bonds that help us control. We are Americans' bonds. Strengthen my bonds that help us control.